Hey, thanks so much for checking out this episode of Golf Strategy School. Now, I know you're listening because you want to learn how to play better golf. But if you want to see how you compare to other golfers your age, you need to check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin. That is par, the number four, success.com slash Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. And what it will do is it will actually give you a free assessment where you can see exactly how you measure up against other people your age. And you can see where you're excelling, where you need to focus your time on. And this is an assessment, honestly, that you can take once a month just to see how you're progressing throughout your golf journey. So again, check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see how you measure up against other golfers your age. What's up, Golf Strategy School? If you want these Sunday conversations to keep going, I need you to sign up to be a part of these Sunday conversations. Head to golfstrategyschool.com slash interview and see if you can find a time on my calendar to have a chat. If the times that you see don't work for you, just send me a message, marty at golfstrategyschool.com if you want to have that conversation, and I will work to find a time that works for you. I want to keep these going. They are getting a ton of traction. Everybody's telling me that they absolutely love them, but I'm running, I've run out of people to talk to. This is the second to last episode that I have recorded, so I need you to sign up. Do it now! Hello, friends, and welcome to a conversation unlike any other. Our Sunday Conversations, brought to you by the Golf Strategy Academy and Golf Strategy School. Whoa, hold up. That's all good and fun, but what we're doing here is we're talking to real golfers just like you. People who are struggling with consistency, struggling to break 90, and we are digging deep, finding out what's holding them back, and helping them make a plan towards success and achieving their goals going forward. And with that being said, let's bring on our next guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Sunday Conversation. I am joined today by Tom Purcell. Tom averages right around an 85, so he's at about a 13 handicap. Says his best score ever was a 76. And right now, the irons are really what's kind of the thorn in his side. He's getting out there to practice about once a week. So with that... Tom, how are you doing today? I'm very well, and how are you doing? I am excellent. I just picked up my daughter from basketball practice. I have a very warm fire going in my fireplace, and I am waiting for this snow to thaw so I can play some damn golf again. <laughs> well, that's great, because it's quite early in the morning here in the UK, so I've just woke up from a very small nap. So <laughs> Yeah, you got, you got six hours ahead of me, so it's very <laughs> early in the morning. I appreciate you being on. <laughs> Worth it, my friend. Worth it. Awesome. Well, one of the things that I like to start all of these conversations off with, because I think it's really important to get get centered behind the reason why you're doing what you're doing on the golf course. And I always want to know what are people's golf goals. So when we're looking at essentially like this upcoming golf season, the 2020 golf season for you, what is your big goal? Um for, for me, it's 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 going to be a case of, I know it, the dream round doesn't exist, but round, rounding off everything to a point where you're happy with it and you, you feel like you're hitting your potential um, with, with each set of clubs, if that makes sense. Um, 
So I, I guess I used to be a 10.2 handicap a couple of seasons ago. Um, and I've kind of come away from that a little bit. Um, but when I was at that level, I do remember actually just being happy there and feeling like that was kind of my potential, if, if you know what I mean. That was what I was capable of with the knowledge I had. And getting back to that is, is probably the, the 2020 goal. Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely know where you mean. I spent probably a solid season and a half to two seasons grinding right around – 9, 10, 11, 12, right in that zone where it's like the good days are awesome. And the bad days, well, they're not usually that bad. You know, you definitely have a few good holes to reflect on, but yeah. it's, there's not, you know, like some car wreck <laughs> that happens to totally derail you. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely know where you're coming from. You know, when we, when we look at numerical goals like that, whether it's, you know, playing to a handicap or shooting a certain score, I think it's really neat how you didn't initially tie a number to it, how you just said, you know, you feel happy with your skill set. Can you paint kind of more detailed picture in terms of what happy looks like for you? Yeah, def- definitely. So um, my wedge game, luckily, has always been been something I've, I've always been happy with. Always had quite a big green green area near my house growing up so I was always chipping away uh, the, the horrible yardage that people hate too so like the 50 60 yarders never <laughs> been a never been a problem for me um, yeah I'm not a big hitter I, I don't get a lot of distance um, so I guess the the long par fours have always been a problem for me so I guess three four five irons um, hybrids that sort of thing. That's where that's where I encounter trouble. Um, but yeah, the, the the putting is something that always needs improving. I think wedge game is generally good. Um, irons used to be great up to say six iron, um, and then yeah, sort of woods and driver. It was take what you can get, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a very love-hate relationship with my four and five iron. I like I feel feel really comfortable, really confident all the way up to my six iron. And I will usually try to figure out a way to not hit my four or my five iron just because I don't feel like I have that confidence behind it. Yeah. When you're when you're talking about because in your questions that you that I always ask for these, you had talked about how you had switched irons and it seemed like it just wasn't that you know, gratifying of an exchange between your old clubs and your new clubs. Can you go into a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, sure. So the, the irons I was using before, they, they were, they were quite old. They were graphite shafts as well. Um, and I felt like I had, I had sort of this mentality that if you want to be the best, you've got to play with the best in terms of equipment, which looking back now was, was a stupid thing to think. Um, so I went from having graphite irons that were um, cavity back, really forgiving, to a um, stiff shaft, forged, tightless iron that if you don't hit it straight out of the teeny tiny sweet spot it's got, you are struggling. Yeah, the uh, the blades is what I hear people talk about all the time. And I look at some of the guys that I golf with that buy those clubs for them, I think it's a vanity thing 
just to say, hey, you know, I bought the newest, brightest, shiniest, hardest to hit thing. When in reality, it's like, yeah, I, I really think you need forgiveness, not a 200-yard 7-iron if you hit that spot that's the size of a dime right in the middle of the face. Yeah, that, that's, just, that's exactly what, but yeah, my, I guess mine was, mine was vanity initially. And, you know, I heard some, something a, a while ago that said, golf's hard enough, why make it harder? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I'm, yeah. I'm of that same mind. I, I try to use some, you know, game improvement irons because I don't, I don't have a ton of time to practice. I practice when I can. Like you said, growing up, you had a, a fairly big green space near you. I had that same exact circumstance. There was a a soccer field that was adjacent to my yard. And when I was growing up, my parents had just built on the land. So all of the trees were small and we had one little maple tree that was the size of essentially a flagstick that was back <laughs> dab in the middle of our backyard. So I could pace off. 60, 70, 80 yards into the soccer field, as long as I didn't take any horrendous divots, nobody noticed. (laughs) And I had hit shots into my backyard. And if I skull one, then I break one of my own windows and I have to answer to my parents. (laughs) So I I definitely learned kind of in that same vein where it's like, hey, let's just kind of get around the green and then let's work the magic from there. But I tried, I tried hitting blades. I tried some stuff like that. And it's just... It does, it does feel incredible when you hit that shot perfect, but I noticed what I would deem acceptable for a shot happening maybe one or two out of five when previously using a game improvement club, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm maybe 70, 80% where I'm getting the ball within an acceptable range. So I definitely feel your pain there. Was there any... And, and I ask this because I've experienced this with like old clubs and metal fatigue. I'll, I'll fess up. I used to play a TaylorMade R7 driver until last year because I figured, oh, well, I'm just getting old and I'm just not hitting the ball as far. I went and I got fitted for a driver for the first time in my life. And it was just monumental in terms of the process. And I credit a lot of that. And I've talked to some master club fitters through the podcast there is a really big thing for metal fatigue. Do you feel like that maybe impacted you and maybe accelerated your decision to change irons? Um, yes, I, I actually, but, well, I think the ultimate decision came from the, the fact that I'd, when I'd come out of the game for about six, seven, eight months, and when I came back into it, I just wanted new stuff, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I just wanted yep. new, I just wanted new clubs, and I was obsessed with Titleist at the time. Um, and I went to my local local golf shop, and they had they had a set of tight Titleist irons, and they weren't too expensive. And I said, "Can I go hit them on the range?" And he said, "Yeah." And I took them out, and I remember then thinking, "God, these are heavy." But it, it came down to a pride thing that. I wanted those clubs, so I wanted to be good with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, you essentially overlook the the impact on the game and have, I don't want to say a false belief in skill, but 
this kind of enhanced, like, oh, well, like the clubs are good. I'm just, I'm just maybe not quite on today. And you know, like I'll, I'll figure them out. I'll just buy them and I'll figure them out. Exactly that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay. So you switch clubs. It hasn't really been what you had hoped in our kind of journey in our effort to get back to that 10, maybe slip into the single digit handicaps. Why is that such an important skill, such an important tier to achieve for you? Because although I, I don't want anyone, anybody thinking that if they're like a slightly higher handicap that being down near a 10 is like, because I remember feeling this way is like unachievable and like, oh my God, they must be unbelievable golfers because I tell you now, 10 handicaps are not unbelievable golfers. Right. But <laughs> there is just, there is just something that when, when I would come off and someone would say, and you've got an 82 or you even knew you had an 82 or something in and around that, you felt, yeah, that's me, if, you, if that makes sense. I'm at my level. That's how good I am. And I'm happy with that. And then if the odd 90 or the odd 92 was to pop up or something around that score, you're not too worried to just go bad day at the office. But at the minute, it can be... I, I, I wanted to tell you this as well. I actually shot a 92 the other day with not one penalty. Oh, and wow. that was that was down to I didn't lose the ball the whole round, but I shot I took ninety two strokes that day, and that was due to due to the irons. Um, couldn't get anything off the ground, anything like that. So obviously I walked off that day not feeling like I'd hit my potential in any way shape before. Um, and that is a frustrating feeling. Obviously I get to play one weekend, so when when we play one weekend, we at least want to come home with a little bit of enjoyment from it, don't we? So. <laughs> that's yeah, that, that's why I want to get back to where I was because I, rem- I remember that feeling of yeah that it, it was either an exceptional round where you you shot even lower and you were obviously on top of the world or you shot a little bit over but that's okay or you were in and around it there, there never seemed to be any sort of blow up day if that makes sense it was that was that was rare to have a god awful day <laughs> yeah so you mentioned how. You know, the 10 handicap when you're at that 18 to 20 to 22, 25 handicap range, 10, it it looks like it's a marathon's distance away. And in reality, in terms of like what you have to do to get there, it might feel that way. But I know that a series of small changes and maybe some small mindset shifts can really, really go a long way for that. Can you kind of walk us through like the Cliff's Notes version of your journey from struggling to break 90 to feeling good, comfortable, and happy around 10? Yeah. It simply came from playing once, like, sorry, inputting, say, three to four hours into golf a week. And doubling that pretty much. And I know that's put some people listen to that and go, well, I haven't got the time to do that. So what's the point? But it was, it was using my time in a, in a way that was, that was beneficial. Um, that I, I was never the one that went to the driving range and just hit driver because it was a show off piece. Cause I, I'm not a big hitter of the ball. So it wasn't actually a show off piece for me. I was more obsessed with handing a wedge to a friend and saying, 
try and get that closer to the flag than me that would be 50 or 70 yards away. But it, it, it came down to, I guess, feels, as people call it. It's just having a club in your hand more often, whether that's, whether that's just in your living room or, or wherever it might be. It's just have that in, in your hand, be used to playing golf more. That's, that's what I was doing at that point. And that, I felt that that's how I improved. It was almost like, oh, yeah, we're playing golf again. And the body just knew what to do, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, my, when I was in high school, my dad would drop me off at the golf course. Our, our local course is only about 10 minutes from our house. He would drop me there at about a quarter to six in the morning. And he would leave me with his credit card so I could run a tab all day. And he would come back after he was done with work. And he would shag balls for me around the green and we would go play nine, 12 holes after that. So I'd end up playing 27 holes a day, hitting four or 500 golf balls, practicing. And he said, I have to go to work. You have to go to work. This is your work. Obviously yeah. that's a, that's a very unique circumstance that like 99% of adults are not going to have the ability to put themselves in. Sounds like a dream. <laughs> well, except for when you're 16 and you want to go talk to girls. Uh, <laughs> and because it was the local course to our house, all of the cart girls were girls that I knew from high school and I was the weird, awkward kid. So that didn't work out. <laughs> but uh, So when we talk about kind of always kind of almost like just having golf on the mind, being around it, being in it, at least touching it maybe once a day, even if it's 10, 15 minutes to go chip around in your backyard, it can make a huge, huge difference. And the other thing that I really hope people learn from your story is that you do not need to kill the ball to be a 10 handicap. Short game will save your life. 100%. Because that's just, that's something that I, that I preach. And I think a lot of people just kind of get like, yeah, there, there goes Marty vamping about, you know, 70% of your shots coming inside a hundred yards. Well, if that's the case, wouldn't it make sense that 70% of our time is spent in that area too, but it is, it's fun to go hit the driver and not worry about other things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the amount of times that I've played, played a par four or par five and I've, the tee shot has been embarrassing, but the next shot or the shot after that has been the one that's actually got you back in the game and, you're up one putting and all of a sudden everyone's going, well, you got four there. Yeah. yeah how the hell did you yeah. pull that one out? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, off 180 off the tee. Uh, another uh, 210 <laughs> after that. You know, a nice chip to about 15 in one putt. Yeah, that's four. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's where I'll sit happily. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I definitely can relate to that. I think it's really important that people practice their short game more than their driving range game, because I think that when we get on the driving range, we kind of fall into this autonomous rapid fire. We're not working on things. We're not thinking about things. I don't call that practice. I call that exercise yeah. because you're not training yourself to actually go out on the course and play a solid round. All you're doing is you're training your brain that it's okay to get it right on the fourth time or the seventh time or the ninth time when we only really have one crack at it on the course. But that brings up another great point that I wanted to share with everybody that's from a podcast episode that's 
boy, probably, probably close to a hundred episodes in the rear view. And it was with Will Robbins. And, you know, you mentioned about how the drive does not have to be that sparkling pretty shot on a hole. Pretty much if you have one great shot on a hole, you're going to save yourself from catastrophe. And Will Robbins put this in a really, really great, succinct way. He said, you know, he says to me, he asks me the question. So I'll, I'll ask you this question, Tom. If you shot 74, but your last hole was a 10, how would you feel? Oh, that's a tough question, isn't it? Just knee-jerk yeah. reaction. You, like, you shoot a 74, and the 18th hole was a 10. A bit sweet, isn't it? That, I think that that would be the – well, that, that was good, but that could have been better. <laughs> yeah, well, I, like, I'm, I'm a very kind of animated, fiery person, so I'm like, I'd be flat-out pissed. And then so he, <laughs> he asked me the follow-up question. He goes, okay, so now you shoot 74, but your first hole is a 10. How do you feel? Yeah, ecstatic. Uh, exactly. World. Yeah, I, I dug myself out of this impossible hole. I'm on top of the world. I want to go play 18 more holes right now. He goes, what's the difference? It's the same damn score. <laughs> Such an interesting way of looking at it, that is. Yeah, and I'm like, huh, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, completely, yeah. So kind of to keep that, that mindset and that mentality where just because one thing goes wrong, whether it's on one hole like an individual shot that goes awry, or maybe it's one entire hole was just a dumpster fire. That does not impact the rest of your performance. You have the ability to leave it behind you. It's just building up the ability to leave that behind you in your mental game. And that actually kind of leads me to a follow-up question for you, Tom. Do you have any type of post-shot routine? Um, no, no, not, not that I would be able to rattle off, not, not on my consciousness. No. So that was one of the things that one of my coaches had talked to me about. And, and I'm sure everybody who's listening has had the importance of a pre-shot routine, just, you know, pounded into the back of their head. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get up on a soapbox about that. It's important. Find one, do it all the time. The end. (laughs) But for a post shot routine, I think it's really important to just kind of have a way for you to mentally close the book on the previous swing. So I'll share what I do. And, you know, anyone who's listening, feel free to take it, use part of it, use all of it, use none of it. That's totally fine. Just develop something. I give myself when it's a a full shot, I give myself 20 paces to either curse that previous shot or celebrate that previous shot. Once I've taken my 20 steps, then it's time to think about the next shot. If I'm in and on and around the green, I keep it to about 15 to 20 seconds to either celebrate or curse that previous shot. So I get to kind of, I get to get the let out. If it's bad, I get to, you know, hit my ankle bone with the putter and then really swear. Uh, Or if it's, if it's really good, then, you know, I get to do a little Chichi Rodriguez and, you know, sheath the putter and and walk up to that next shot. And it's just a nice way to kind of acknowledge and process what you just had happen and then move on to the next thing. Does that sound like something that might be beneficial for your game? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Because I I find the celebrations 
don't last as long as the curses from a bad from a bad to a good shot. If that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, even when <laughs> and, and this this has actually been studied by psychologists when it comes to like positive versus negative feedback. It takes seven times the amount of positive feedback just to break even compared to one negative piece of feedback. So wow. if you have one bad shot, it's going to take seven great shots just for you to emotionally feel neutral. So to give yourself some type of way to, to maybe stack the deck a little bit in your favor, I think can really go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned in the questions that I asked ahead of time. And like I said earlier, that your best score ever was a 76. What was that like for you? Um, that was in a competition. So it was excellent. Oh, got, even better. <laughs> yeah. I got a bandit score with points and booed almost when I went up for the award ceremony. But at, at the time I was playing to a 14 handicap and shot six over par for the course for the day. So it was past 70. So yeah, played out, played out my skin. Um, and it, it came, all I can remember now looking back, so it was a number of years ago now, I don't remember the, long drives I don't remember the big hits I just remember keeping the ball in play and I sound like a broken record a little bit but just the wedges I remember hitting shots getting up to greens and being like oh my god and being tapping distance away um from from 100 yards I was just confident I was just like I'm just going to hit this club same way and I'm just going to play it at the flag and I'm going to tap it in when I get down there because that's just the way the day was going Nice. So do you, did you find yourself in and around a hundred yards a lot that day? Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't the perfect day. There was ups, there was ups and downs throughout the day. Um, I just, or, yeah, I just remember looking back now thinking every, every, cause we're in a group of four, everyone, they were always taking my score, um, for points. Um, and it was that, that was a, that was a good confidence booster. Um, and yeah, I, ju- I just remember, having a wedge in my hand a lot. So I'm, I must've been finding myself within those distances, obviously on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think I have a, a personal belief in terms of for higher handicappers that if you can play from the same distance on a repeated basis, eventually you're going to build up that skill throughout the round. So everybody's got a favorite club. Mine currently is probably my pitching wedge gets me about 130-ish. And I know that if I can put myself at 130 as many times as possible, the shots are probably just going to get closer and closer and closer throughout the day. I'm going to feel more confident in that club, so I'm going to hit the shots better and better and better. But I think that people from, from those kind of higher handicap ranges, they can do a lot to put themselves – or they can make a lot of progress if they put themselves at that favorable distance for them, whatever it is. Maybe it's a seven iron from 140. Maybe it's a nine iron from 110 yards. But if they have a favorite distance, rather than trying to hit the miracle three wood from 230 yards, if it is a nine iron from 110, let's just, let's just hit a nine iron twice. And we're probably on the green rather than pulling out that three wood, duffing it and having to hit another three wood that you're really pissed off about now from 205 yards. So like, that's one of those things that I always listen for when people tell me about what their best round is. And I've heard that a lot that their best rounds happen when 
we see the same number coming up for that approach distance. I'll tell you, my best round ever was a 66. I hit my gap wedge 11 times and I made eight birdies. Unbelievable. It, it, it was just that exact, it was the exact same way that you described it. It's just like, I, I knew that I was going to hit it to probably 10 ish feet and the putter was hot. So, you know, we're like, we're going to ride this as long as we can. Yeah. That is a good combination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. A hot wedge and a good putter. Yeah. That, that makes for a fun day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you said you're struggling with your irons right now, you know, yeah. with, with those specific clubs that, that have that, you know, super hot sweet spot and then just dead everywhere else. It really is tough to get any type of rhythm going. If you're kind of wishy-washy, on your impact spot. Do you have a plan in place on how you can remedy this? Um, well, I've, I've listened to, to a number of yours. Um, and one, one note I took down on my phone was the, the, the foot spray onto the ground and initially just practicing impact after the ball. So hitting down on it after the, after the target zone, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And that was, that's a fairly recent episode. That's probably within the last month or two. Uh, So I'll, I'll make sure I put a link to that one in the show notes. But the one thing that I might add to that is just kind of keeping that swing between nine o'clock and three o'clock. If you know what I mean, about a half swing that way you can build because it's going to be easier to, to build on solid impact from a half swing because there's less moving parts. So if we, if we just go from about a half swing back and half swing following through, it gets our body a lot more involved and gets the, the hands and arms out of it a little bit. And that should be able to build you some solid contact. And as you get, my big thing is for a learning zone to be between 30 and 70% success rate. That comes actually from Adam Young, who's a, a teacher over in Spain. Uh, but if you can succeed at a rate higher than 70%, it's time to make practice more difficult. So if you put your foot spray down and you're doing half swings and you can get seven, eight, nine, or 10 out of 10 that have good solid contact, not necessarily worried about ball flight, but just good solid contact that you feel like all the way through your body, it's a solid shot. Then it's time to extend it maybe to a three quarter swing and keep working on it. Work through your, through your bag, all your different clubs. I would start with whatever clubs your favorites. You know, maybe it's a, another one of those hundred yard wedges for you and just work on really grooving that and then stretch it out. Then you get to your shorter irons and then you start pushing the envelope with maybe that six iron and that five iron. And just to kind of just slowly layer those successes one after another. So you're stretching your comfort zone and you're kind of fortifying those those walls as you're building it, you're kind of fortifying your confidence as you're stretching that skill level and then slowly stretching out your swing. I think it's something that, that can really go a long way to helping flip that switch with your irons. Yeah, I will def- I'll, I'll, I'll be trying that for sure. <laughs> awesome. So I'm, I'm glad that made sense because it was kind of like a, a half cooked cake in my brain as it started to come out of my mouth. So I'm glad that made sense for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it absolutely did. I took notes while you were saying it as well. So I've got it in my notepad. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, I don't want to keep you, 
I know that that you're you're making a, a special exception to to join us. I really really appreciate the time, Tom. What is the next thing that you are going to do in your next practice session? I'm going to practice um, three, nine o'clock to three o'clock uh, iron swings. I think. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, that that'll be me for a number of weeks now. I'm sure. Well, I'll tell you, I had I had a gentleman uh, that I was helping with with his game. He said he was struggling with his impact specifically. And we were talking about what the shots were doing. He said he was hitting a lot of thin shots. And that told me he was getting his weight back on the outside edge of his trail foot. And he wasn't getting it back through the ball. So I gave him the same prescription. I'm like, let's focus on nine o'clock to three o'clock and just make sure that we're not, we're not swaying, that we're just turning around that, that kind of isolated spine. And he came back and messaged me a couple of days later. He's like, yeah. So personal best 82 totally works. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You shorten things up, you remove variables and then it actually makes failure a little bit difficult. So yeah, hopefully that works out for you, Tom. I really, really appreciate you joining me today on the Sunday conversation. And I hope you and the rest of the golfers that I will be able to catch you all sometime in the short grass. Cheers, Tom. Thank you very much. All right, I hope you enjoyed this Sunday conversation with Tom. We talked a lot about the importance of short game. And if you want three of my absolute favorite short game practice routines that are really honestly designed to help kind of spur some creativity around the greens and kind of get you a little bit outside your comfort zone, doing some things that you may not be used to, this is going to help build in that creativity into your game and get you kind of comfortable being uncomfortable, which sounds kind of weird, but is a huge key to performing and playing well under pressure. So if you want those, head to golfstrategyschool.com slash three free lessons. That's the number three free lessons. And you know what? Just go ahead, open up your podcast app. I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. So you'll see it there as well. But if you want those lessons, I'm more than happy to share them with you. GolfStrategySchool.com slash the number three free lessons. All right, everybody. Until next time, I'll catch you in the short grass. Cheers. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Strategy School. As always, if you want to keep it in the short grass, all you got to do is put those lessons into effect. And if you want to see exactly how you fare in terms of your physical performance to other golfers your age, head over to par4success.com slash griffin, and you'll be able to see exactly where you line up and match up with other golfers your age based off of this this free performance assessment that Chris and his team has put together. Again, that's parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see exactly how well you line up against all their golfers your age. And I'll just drop a link to it in the show notes.